there's a website called Word Detective. I think there's a radio program that's modeled after it as well, whose writers seek to get to the roots of words or sayings that we often use. We have no idea where they, how they came to be or really what they mean. For example, a few years ago, when I asked questions to my nephews that are now teenagers and young adults and other young people, they started to say, ask a question, they say, I'm down with that. And I would ask, what does that mean? Is that yes or no? Because down seems to be no, but actually it means yes. Where did that come from? Or what about, we won the game by the skin of our teeth? Or she drives me up a wall? Or he gives me the cold shoulder? What does that mean? Or the test was a piece of cake? Can you imagine how confusing these phrases are to someone who's trying to master or learn English? One of these colloquialisms comes to mind today. That is, the proof is in the pudding. The, according to word detective, it means the effectiveness of truth of something can only be judged by first putting it into action. Standing alone, if you ask someone who had never heard that pudding phrase to determine its definition, they'd be at a loss. That's because the phrase that was first used in the 1700s was shortened. It used to be the proof of the pudding is in the eating. In other words, you may have a good pudding recipe and good ingredients, but the taste of the pudding is the criterion for success. I thought of this phrase when I meditated on today's gospel and then I wanted some pudding, right? In Jesus' day, the chief priests and the elders of the people were in charge because of their knowledge of the law and their expertise in debate. The little people were powerless and therefore dismissible. Further, because knowledge of the law was the indicator of holiness in Jesus' day, it was an established fact that poor people and uneducated people were second rate in the kingdom. The rich, because they were educated, were seen as holy simply because they knew more. So imagine the challenge of our gospel today. The temple leaders must have been enraged. Just the day before, Jesus, the son of the lowly carpenter, had thrown the money changers out of the temple. A dramatic scene indeed. The next day, Jesus is returning to teach, and I would imagine everything was pretty tense when the Pharisees approached him. Perhaps they would seize this crazy preacher. They were known sometimes for violence. Maybe they would kill him. At the very least, these scholars we're going to tell Jesus about the truth, at least in their perspective. But Jesus knew their hearts. He knew the blessings that the Father had bestowed on them and the way that many of them had squandered those blessings by their arrogance. The proof wasn't in the pudding. So Jesus proposed a parable. A man had two sons, and he asked them to go work in the vineyard. One says yes doesn't go. The other says no, but softens to his father's request and goes to the vineyard, honoring his father in the end. After the parable, Jesus makes the chief priests and elders ponder some self-condemning questions. One can sense the shocking disdain of the Lord's audience. I mean, who does he think he is of all the nerve? Of course, the parable was pretty simple. God is the Father, the Son who initially said yes, 
represented the chosen people, specifically the scribes and the Pharisees. At first, they said yes to God, but in the end, they did not put their faith into action. By contrast, the son who initially said no, but came to his senses, feeling a sense of remorse and goes out and works in the vineyard, represented those who had never followed, actually. But when hearing the words of the fiery preacher, St. John the Baptist, who cried out in the wilderness, preparing for the way of the Lord, they began incorporating the teachings of God and the teachings of Jesus in their lives, in their lives, not just book knowledge, in their lives. So they practiced what John the Baptist and later Jesus of Nazareth preached. The proof was in the pudding. And it wasn't the elite. The truly converted were flawed sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors who came to the light because of their humility. Thus, the whole idea of how to be holy, and indeed who was holy, began to change, which was threatening to the elite, which ended up Jesus hanging on a cross. And that question leads us to a question, that is, after baptism, which is God's initiative in the life of grace, is there evidence of our continued discipleship? Is there follow-through in our daily lives? Jesus challenges the idea that one can say yes on Sunday morning, maybe a few prayers in the Monday or the morning and the evening, but then go on with life as normal, as if obedience to the will of God is optional or unimportant. Our sincere yes has to do battle sometimes with our force of habit, our force of will. For the Christian, it is the will of God that matters. When our will matters more to us than our profession of and the living out of our faith, there is a gap between the Christian ideal and the realities that others see and call hypocrisy, like politicians, for example, who call themselves Catholic but rarely follow the precepts of the gospel. That is not proof in the pudding. Our gospel today calls us to discipleship, not just learning, but discipleship in life, lest we forget those baptismal promises. We also receive Holy Communion for a reason, that is to equip ourselves with grace for the battle of discipleship. Do we say yes to Jesus every day in prayer, in integrity, by your honesty, by your purity, and by your defense of the poor and the lowly? Guided by the church as we grow in faith and in human capability, God expects more and varied things from us. Is our yes to him authentic and sincere and filled with follow-through? Our challenge is following Jesus without knowing where exactly he is going to lead us each day. Sometimes it can be a little scary. But it is also true that those who have a discerning, faith-filled heart will grow tremendously as human beings in the process, being molded by the hand of God himself. We will do things that we will never thought possible as human beings because we have God's grace behind us. So we hear again today that Christianity is not a sprint, it is a marathon. It should be our prayer that in the the end of our lives that we will be remembered 
by someone who knew the faith and also put it into practice, knew the faith and practiced their faith on Sunday morning, but then practiced it throughout the week, and that proof was in the pudding. 